Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Tim Martin, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 68. you just watching episode 68 beauty and the beast welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained christian i'm eve franklin i'm tim martin and we decided after much uh discussion over what we were going to talk about this month uh to do the movie everybody's talking about this month We we batted back and forth. I want to say three different movies at least, but mm-hmm. maybe maybe as many as five. Yeah, yeah, there were quite a few on our list, and nothing really jumped out as as taking precedence. And then I got my press passes for Beating the Beast, and had a friend who really wanted to go, and well, the rest is history. So <laughs> this movie was directed by Bill Condon, which I've I've. It's interesting looking at some of the reviews that are out there that a lot of people were annoyed that he was the director of this movie, mainly because he was also the director of the last two Twilight movies. And some people are really holding those against him. (laughs) Um, I didn't think Kristen Stewart has a a twilight taint on her too. Doesn't she? Maybe, maybe those movies really are bad for your career. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't think they were horribly directed, but obviously some people did. Uh, what faults they had was probably more fault to the story than the director, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> the the movie was scored by Alan Menken, who was also the person who scored the animated version. So they pulled somebody in who was already familiar with the music. Hey, this is a Disney movie without our favorite Italian uh, composer, Maestro. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to struggle with his name this time around. <laughs> You'll notice I didn't say it either. Yeah, um, but yeah, it is a little odd to have a Disney movie that isn't scored by him. But yeah, this I think they went back to Alan Menken because he did score and write the music for the original, and since they were pulling in a lot of the same music, it made sense to go back to the same guy. They added some words to some of the songs. The main one, I think, was the Gaston song. Uh, They put words back in that were cut from the original to make it a little bit more risque. Now, you've done a a lot more research on this. Plus, you have a lot more background knowledge uh, (laughs) on this story than I do. Uh uh, as, As we were talking before. We started recording. We hit, we hit our <laughs> mutual record buttons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have actually uh, read more than one version of the book or uh, – mm-hmm. Yeah, variations whereas, of the story. Yeah, my entire exposure to the, uh, the, the story in any long format has been Disney's 1991 animated film. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Beating the Beast has always been my favorite story. 
I don't necessarily mean that I am uh, tied to the Disney version of the story. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of went into this not so much as I know a lot of people were concerned that they would ruin the story uh, by changing something. And they did change a few things. Uh, not a lot, though. For the most part, it it went hand in hand uh, with the 1991 version. They They tied up some story holes. Uh, that I actually read an article, I think it was on um, Huffington Post, believe it or not, um, uh, that they were talking about some of the uh, article, some of the story holes that were in the animated version that they plugged in this version. One of them was what happened to Belle's mother, um, how Beauty got the beast back on the horse after he was wounded by the wolves. Um, That was not explained in the the first movie. and, you know, little things like that. None of them were, like, massive story holes, but they did say that this movie made an attempt to plug some of those. Actually, uh, let me let me cut you off just for a second. This is our initial impressions uh, of a movie that's currently in theaters, but we don't really need a non-spoiler-free non-spo- no, uh, section, right? No, I don't think so. I, I think most people know what Beating the Beast is about, so hopefully... <laughs> And it's not like we're going to drop any bombshells that haven't already been completely <laughs> ruined by press going into the movie. Exactly. And and to be honest, I think most people who tune into our podcast have either seen the movie or are not going to see the movie, one or the other. So. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I probably would not have seen it had you not gotten those press passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm glad I did because it, it gave me a chance for just my uh, my. Uh, youngest daughter and I to go see a movie together and we well, haven't that, done that in a while that's that's great yeah I mean, uh, now my youngest daughter is uh, <laughs> 20 <laughs> 19 20 well so I don't want I don't want to give the impression that she's you know a six-year-old yeah and, and we should say early on um, that we do have some concerns about this movie that might m- mean that you need to consider watching it before you take your kids and Agreed. Th- this is Disney's step out into the realm of, do we really want it, our kids to see this? Uh, and they did raise the rating on this. The original animated was rated G. This one is PG, which does yeah. suggest that parents should, you know, think a little bit before taking their kids. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like maybe they should make it mean parental guidance suggested. <laughs> That's what PG is. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, Now, I I do want to say that I don't think that this was any more violent or disturbing than the animated film was. I think that the PG rating was earned, in my opinion, solely on the fact that it is live action versus animated and live action violence, even if it's, you know, stuntmen on a on a film screen Mm -hmm. does carry more psychological weight than animated violence. And and obviously, you know, we're not worrying about spoilers, but the one I really heard the kids in the theater gasp at um, was when Gaston fell at the end. Um, oh really yeah there, it's, there weren't a lot of kids in our showing so yeah there were a lot of kids believe it or not at the press showing the preview um there mm. were a lot of kids in there and I, I i heard some of them kind of gasp and um make noises you know of consternation when he fell and that was really i mean for for the age group that this type of movie is aimed for that is a pretty graphic thing and yeah 
you don't see him hit the ground, obviously, but there's the impression that he's going to go splat. So, yeah, it, you know, I think there was even I think audio wise, I think there was a thud, but I'm, I I might have imagined that. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I was going to go see the movie again, decided not to. I, I am a little concerned about some of the, the steps Disney took with this, and we'll talk about that a little later. But overall, f- for the sake of the story and what they were trying to do and uh, retell it as a live action, I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. And hmm. um, a couple of the things that I really liked, um, I thought the sorceress played a much bigger role in this version than in the – I mean, she was an implied character, in the animated version, she never actually showed up and yeah. she is a actual character in this version. And I, though I noticed that you missed that <laughs> to some degree. Uh, well, yeah, it's not only did I miss that, uh, she was an actual, well, I guess it's the same thing. I missed that. She was an actual character in as much as there's an earlier scene in the movie where Gaston points over at, uh, at, uh, what is presumed to be a widow, but I still don't think that was the same. I don't think that was the Agatha character that turns out to be. No, it was her because they said her name. Did they really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But why would the sorceress have had a husband? I guess. Not a husband. She was an old maid, an unmarried woman. Oh, that's right. Living in that's the right. village. Yeah. And, and Gaston pointed her out during the song at the, when he's wooing Belle there at the beginning in the, kind of yeah. in the middle of the song, um, he says, "You don't want to end up like Agatha." And they point over to her, and and she's kind of homely. She doesn't look like the old woman that was introduced in the in the introduction where they explain the curse, but right. but that wasn't her true form anyway. Um, she was proving a point to the prince at that time, and and then she shows up again when she helps Belle's father, Maurice. Uh, and then she she shows up again during the fight in the castle, and she goes all the way up the steps to where the rose is, and that's when mm-hmm. um, when you realize the tie-in. But yeah, she's she's throughout the whole thing, and I I appreciated that they wove her character through that she was not only that she cast this curse, but that she lived with it because it was. A curse not just on the I, – I really feel in discussing with the person I went to see the movie with that the curse was on the village too because there were people in the village that knew people in the castle that were yeah. you know husbands and wives of people in the castle and they had forgotten them. Yeah, I, I did – they said that in the very beginning, which I don't remember them saying in the animated film mm-hmm. that the local populace was – Part of the curse. Forced to forget the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, out of curiosity, was that in line with you know the actual book? Do you know? Uh, I believe so. The, the whole cursing of the people in the castle was not a part of the original story. That was a Disneyfication of it. Disneyfication. I like yeah, that. Word. Yeah, Disney Disney Disneyfies a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, their version of Cinderella and the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and all the other uh, Disney tales uh, do not look anything like the original oh, yeah. stories. Disney kind of has this happily ever twist that they they put on everything that is not always the case in the stories that they take on. But yeah, I think that that I appreciated you know, that deepening of the storyline a little bit to include the sorceress. I will say that I kind of watched this movie already oversensitized 
um, to mm-hmm. things that were being said about it uh, in the public. I kind of wish Disney had kept its mouth shut about what it was planning to do with this movie. I'm not entirely sure I would have even noticed it if they hadn't made this big stink about it. Hmm. But because they did, it stood out like a sore thumb, and it was all I could see. <laughs> uh, it's, I am 100% certain I would have noticed it. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know, because some of it was in the original animation, yes, and I didn't notice agreed. it then. So, I, you know, it wasn't something that, that drew my notice. It, I think it may have been a little bit more obvious this time around because the actor played La Fugue. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, that, that was a, a little bit annoyed me that I couldn't enjoy the movie because of that. But it, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some thoughts on that as well. And then of course the last thing, and this is the reason why I've always loved beating the beast and all the versions that I have, read of beating the beast bell or beauty is always a bookworm she loves books and i don't know whether that's because that was a part of the original but i haven't that's the one version i haven't read is the original the original's in french so unless i can find a an english version of it i don't read french um that how was how i connected with bell because i'm a bookworm myself and that's how i do my traveling is through books and i really connect with her character and that really came out in this version in fact i think they almost emphasized it a little bit more uh in the live action that Hmm. she was an avid reader i mean it was brought up in the in the previous version but i think it that's it's interesting uh i don't i don't see that uh i i think both versions emphasized it equally Mm -hmm. well there's a there's a big difference between this one um, not so much in Belle's character, but in the be- in the Beast character, because in the animated he couldn't read, and in this oh, version yeah, he could. True. And so they actually come together, a meeting of minds over books. That's one of the yeah. the things that they that attracts them to each other, and that is, I think, an important uh, change because it makes sense that the Beast would be literate with a big library full of books. So yeah, I, I appreciated that they made the Beast literate in this version. Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that uh, that he was illiterate and taught to read by Bell mm-hmm. in the uh, in the first version. Though you could see if or he had beastly Disney, hands, first Disney version. Yeah. If he had beastly hands, it would be hard to turn pages. But yeah, it's like opening those little doggy poop bags. <laughs> sort of have to lick your fingers and get it right, just right to peel open the very thin plastic. Thank you, for which that. is just going to break once you pick up the poop anyway. <laughs> Thank you for that picture. No problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so do you have any first impressions you'd like to share? Yeah. It's, I've got a qualified didn't like it. Okay. Um, now, I say that qualified by uh, the fact that, uh, as I said, my interaction is before this is solely the animated based on one. the original Dan- Disney mm-hmm. animation. And uh, for me, the enjoyment of the movie was severely impacted by the um social aspect yeah yeah but you know the the i don't want to even call it a controversy because i don't think it it earned that much it was just commentary uh but that said um there were elements that i didn't like about the movie uh for one this movie was straight out of the gate more serious 
and uh, weighty, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it when when Bell is singing the opening number. Uh, in the animation version, Bell was a upbeat, optimistic young woman. But in this one, Emma Watson played her as uh, not quite somebody who's trapped but definitely somebody who carried larger weights on her shoulder. And I, that's probably consistent with going to live action and with the the backstory of the mother and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that uh, that they made Belle more real, I guess, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and then that, uh, that level of... Uh, seriousness is is carried throughout the entire film, and I I just didn't appreciate it. Hmm. Uh, I don't think it was I don't think it was a uh, wrong choice or a bad thing to do. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, aside from that, uh, I had two other areas that that I wasn't terribly fond of. Uh, the first was that many of the character motivations and lines for me did not seem to have internal consist- consistency to the character. Uh, the big one for me was uh, they duplicated the line from the animated version, crazy old Maurice, always good for a laugh. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kevin Klein, who, by the way, is one of my favorite comic, uh, one of my favorite actors, not just comic actors. At no point in the movie up to this point had he shown any indication that he was uh, mentally off you know that he was thought of by the rest of the village as being strange they didn't plant any seeds they didn't put the gun on the mantle so to speak so when they said crazy old maurice always good for a laugh when he came back uh with these weird claims i i really felt like it was out of place and uh not consistent with the uh the character that they had developed so far well they didn't really show him interact with the village at all yeah, before that. that's true. And it doesn't necessarily – it may be that they were relying on people's understanding of like the previous version of the movie. And I'm not going to defend it because I agree with you that there does seem odd. But at the same time, we did not see him interact with the village at all. Right. And so his his claims about the beast could have been taken as being crazy because none of them believed in a beast. Yeah, and but his interaction – his comment that – his comment that um, that it was snowing in June and all of the stuff um, made him sound very crazy. And you have to remember that they did believe Belle was crazy and Belle was his daughter. And so there could have been some, you know, connection there as well. It's funny you should mention the snowing at June in June thing, mm-hmm. because that's one of the things that bugged me. <laughs> um, the scene where uh, Maurice... Gaston and LeFou are out uh, looking for the the path back to the castle. Mm -hmm. Gaston is berating Maurice because, uh, you know, it's been a wild goose chase. And Gaston says, wolves, frostbite, and starvation. Okay, it's June. It's only winter around the castle. Why is Gaston worried about frostbite? (laughs) Well, they are at that point. He was right next to the turnoff into... The castle, but yeah, but it, shouldn't that have clued Gaston and LeFou into something weird going on? Frostbite and well, June? are they also could be complaining about Maurice's claims because that was what Maurice had been claiming, 
and they may have been mocking him. Eh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give that. I'll give that one a maybe. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing for me was that uh, I really felt like the visuals uh, a couple times pass, crossed the line from fantasy to fantastical, uh, almost into LSD trippiness. <laughs> well, this is a Disney um, movie after all. Yeah. <laughs> this was like this was like Fantasia compared to the original Beauty and the Beast, you know. Um, particularly the "Be Our Guest" song, song. I thought that was actually very similar to the animated one. <laughs> it, you know, it was, but when they made it live action, I was like, "Where in the world is all of this coming from?" I didn't. When it was animated, I didn't care that this uh, sixty-tier. Uh, 30 foot tall cake popped out of the <laughs> popped out of the <laughs> the dining room table because you know it's animated what do i care but did you but, catch that she never got a bite to eat i thought that's yeah, i did <laughs> just as she was reaching down to start eating the plate of food it goes sliding off the table with the tablecloth like two or three times she goes to take a bite and it's gone <laughs> um and and there's a bit in there in that scene where it, i i seem to remember them doing the you know the Indian uh, festival where they throw colors at each other? Uh-uh. Um, powdered color. Uh, there's a festival in India where everybody wears white shirts and pants and they uh, have what is essentially a color fight. And uh, everybody throws colors at each other. And, and I'll look it up for the show notes as to what the festival is and provide like a National Geographic link or something. But there's a, a bit in the Be Our Guest where they do a little bit of that, too. <laughs> and between that and the many of the shots inside the castle evoked M.C. Escher to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that castle was pretty maze-like. And yeah. Lots of drop-offs. Like the, the, the prison where her father was kept and where she took his place um, had a gated, you know, a, a grated door. But then it had an opening that was a drop off down into the staircase that just went on forever. And it was like, usually you think of people being stuck in dungeons, not <laughs> weird caged rooms at the top of, you know, staircases yeah. that go on forever. Yeah, I see where you meant. And, and, you know, and that kind of all went away when the curse was over, too. The castle seemed to clean itself up, off when the yeah. curse was broken. So. <laughs> it- the castle, uh, the castle did a good job repairing all the damage that it had taken. Yeah. Out <laughs> um, of curiosity, how long do you think they were under this curse? That is a discussion that we may- had on the way back uh, after we went to see the movie. Is how long it had been. Um, we it, we were thinking it probably couldn't have been very long. Ten years max. Well, the, you know, obviously the the spouses of the people in the castle were still in the village. Yeah, and the prince himself. There, there, there are versions of the story where the if he hadn't broken the curse by his twenty fifth birthday, then he would be stuck like that forever. Um, right. And so there's there's some thought into that that if it had been ten years, he would have been a kid prior to that. So it couldn't have been very long. Mm-hmm. And you know, like the the modern retelling of Beating the Beast that came out a few years ago called Beastly. That was based on a, a modern version of Beating the Beast, and his his was a year. If he didn't, I'd always gotten the impression that they did not age while under this curse. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the age difference between 
Cogsworth and and his lovely bride could just been a natural because back in that era. Well, I I didn't think it was significant. I didn't think it was significant at all. uh, I would have I would have placed them at the same age and Mrs. Potts and Mr. Potts within within 10 years. Exactly. Well, they I think they were aging the same or they weren't aging at all, one or the other. And it would have been the village and the castle because they were both under the curse. Oh, you think the village was affected by this aging Mm -hmm. thing, too? Mm -hmm. I think that was part of the the fact that Belle was complaining about it being stuck in time, like nothing ever changed, nothing ever went anywhere. And oh, oh, that's I hadn't thought of that. That's a that's an interesting observation. Yeah, because when they walk into the library, Beast uh, claims that he has read almost every book in this library. And this library is massive, huge, <laughs> except the ones in Greek. So uh, yeah, except for the except for the ones in Greek, he doesn't read Greek. <laughs> but I mean, for it to be uh, it, ten years does not seem long enough for for somebody to go through. Especially this brooding guy mm-hmm. who uh, seems to stalk around the castle looking for people to yell at. Uh, it doesn't seem long enough for him to have read all those books, even if you take into account um, he looked like he was maybe early twenties at the at the time of the curse. Yeah, probably probably a little younger because well, curses have no time limit, so <laughs> <laughs> if one's not given, so we yeah. can just. We are talking fantasy. I guess we can't really put a time limit on yeah. fantasy. <laughs> and if you if you include the the village, uh, the village then it's a moot point anyway. Yeah. The, the aging doesn't matter, and it could have been, you know, fifty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, that was a discussion we had had in the car back from watching the movie was how whether the village was affected too, because that seemed to be what they were implying. That even though the the villagers had forgotten the castle existed or even where to look for it, that there was an aspect of the curse that was touching the village as well because they they were stuck until that curse was lifted. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, the fact that it split families up, that's kind of – I never even – I don't think that was ever touched on in the original. Maybe it was. I, uh, it's, I don't I – don't if really it remember. was, I missed it. Yeah. I have it on DVD, the original, and I have watched it recently, but I don't remember that aspect of it at all. But anyway, all that to say, let's move on because <laughs> <laughs> we could get bogged down in first impressions and not get to talk about what we really want to talk about. Well, uh, you know what? My last first impression is the social commentary section anyway. Okay. So. Well, we're, we'll move on to that then. Well, I, as most Christians will know going into, if they're even listening to our review on this, because they're so fed up and don't, and are boycotting Disney right now, um, mm. which a lot of them have claimed to be doing. Uh, this movie does have an actor who plays a character, very gay. And at first this really, I really struggled with this. It's- let me let me interrupt you real quick. Uh, he played the character very effem- – he played a male character very effeminately, mm-hmm. which is uh, – I don't think that's the same as playing it really gay uh, because, you know, sin takes <laughs> so many different forms. Right. Well, the, the way, that, way the director said it was that he – that LaFou is trying – is trying to decide whether he wants to be like Gaston or love Gaston. And yeah. the actor definitely brings that out in the way he plays the character. And that there was going to be a specifically uh, gay moment in the movie. That was the other thing the director had said. I'm torn as to what that gay moment was. 
it's I, there are two possibilities. There are two in my possibilities. Mind, yes. Yeah. Um, the the first one would be uh, this the part in the song where he wraps himself in Gaston's arms, which bugged me quite a bit actually, and mm. and then the other part was at the celebration at the end, which is the one I think that they were talking about where he dances with a male character. Uh, yeah, that and that really was just a moment. I mean, yeah, I don't even was, think it was on the screen for a full second. Yeah, it was very quick, very quick. You know, uh, a couple of the articles that I that I read in, in prepping suggested that uh, Gaston seemed uh, oblivious mm-hmm. to LeFou's feelings, but I really got the impression, uh, you know, during Gaston's big scene, that he was aware at the very least subconsciously, perhaps even consciously aware of Gaston's crossing from hero worship into uh, lustful thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Particularly in that first scene uh, you had just mentioned where um, LeFou ends up hugging Gaston from the back and LeFou says too much and Gaston says definitely. Yeah. Uh, And that, that line, that definitely line was I don't know suggested an entire backstory to me of uh, Gaston saying, "All right, you can hang around, but here's here's the line that you can't <laughs> cross. cross." Yeah, yeah. Well, Gaston has obviously made it very, very pointed that he's after Belle. He wants a girl, and mm. so Lafou can worship him all he likes, but he's he, and I think he sympathizes with the girls who are you know, a little bit lustful for Gaston and unable to... A little bit? (laughs) Unable to attract his attention. And the fact that it's played so obviously in the live action, and like I kind of pointed out here in my notes, is that I think it was probably there in the animated, but it was more of a joke. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to make something like that a joke in a live action movie. It just... Yeah. It comes across too explicitly. I was actually thinking about that earlier... I was thinking back to entertainment when uh, when I was uh, 10 or younger. Mm-hmm. And if there was a character who was played as effeminately as LeFou was in this movie, it would have been considered funny. Mm-hmm. It was definitely for comic uh, effect. And I don't think it uh, it carried any of the the social commentary weight that it does now the big the 100% big thing for me was not that it, that the movie had a gay character you know what <laughs> a lot of movies have that now <laughs> yeah it, it, a gay character is not a big deal what what is a big deal for me and what is the sole reason that i would tell people do not take your children to see this film mm mm-hmm is that this film affirms the gay lifestyle, mm-hmm. the homosexual lifestyle choice. And I know that there is a lot, of di- a lot of disagreement and a lot of discussion. I am not completely convinced that there is not a genetic element to homosexual tendencies, but what I am 100% convinced of is that uh, homosexual thoughts lusts and behavior deeds are all behavior yeah are all sinful uh, clearly defined as sinful and that a person filled with the spirit should be doing everything they can to resist 
that temptation just like any person filled with the spirit is called to resist all temptation and you know what we fail uh, i get that we fail all the time Mm -hmm. with multiple different avenues but we cannot abide affirming a sinful choice as soon as we do that as soon as we encourage our children uh as soon as we take away that black and white option and say well you know that that might have might not have been as bad as all that then I think we are taking the glory away from God and we're putting it on human nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just the wrong, wrong, wrong thing to do. Well, and I understand all that and I agree with you. The issue that I have with some of the publicity that has blown up around Beauty and the Beast. And and believe me, I'm here too because I was, I've already been posting, you know, on our, our Facebook mm-hmm. discussion page uh, – As soon as it hit, I was posting articles about it, and it upset me um, that they were using this movie as a platform for this. Yeah. Not necessarily, like you said, a gay character, but normalizing um, the gay agenda in a movie directed at children. And it was the audience of the movie, if nothing else, that upset me, the intended audience. Absolutely. But this is where we have to be very careful as Christians not to be hypocritical. And this is what we discussed before in our, in our last episode on commercials. Um, You actually were the one that brought it up. Um, We can make a big stink about Disney, which is a secular company with secular ideals, never has ever, ever come out and upheld any kind of Christian philosophy whatsoever. All of their movies, including the stuff aimed at children, have tons of mysticism, fantastical stuff, uh, Mm. spiritualism. Uh, We discussed it when we talked about um, the animated movie back in the fall, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, how that was that promoted a lot of uh, mysticism and spirituality um, that is not Christian. We come across very hypocritical when we make a big deal out of normalizing gay behavior in a movie intended for children if we don't also come against all the other movies that disney or other organizations have made pointed at children that have just as bad as stuff that doesn't touch on homosexuality no i'm sorry i gotta i have to disagree here because your example mysticism for for example is an element of fantasy and a storytelling device there is a reasonable person would not expect a uh, an eight year old to go out and attempt to make origami soldiers come to life, um, or go out and slay a dragon or whatever. But the the issue of homosexuality is that much more. But what I'm saying, I think you missed my point. I I get I get that, and and believe me, I love fantasy too. But there is a level of hypocriticalness when we expect a secular organization to hold to a Christian moral when we when they don't anywhere else. Well, it's, I don't think we're expecting them to hold to a Christian moral. I think we're encouraging. I don't think we're they wrong don't to anything. encourage people to not bring their children to it, though. 
that's that is something that the parents have to make up their own mind about what they expose their children to. Mm. But we cannot. It, it, the thing that bother, bothers me is this whole let's boycott Disney because of this one thing that they did. And believe me, I think it's wrong. I'm not saying it yeah. isn't wrong. What I'm saying is, is that it comes across hypocritical that we're going to put our foot down on this one thing that Disney has done when they've done just as many bad things in other movies that we let pass without saying anything. Right. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that this would prevent you from going to see Cars 3. <laughs> it, unless, you know, LeFou shows up in Cars 3. Uh, then What's funny maybe is... Maybe he has a thing for uh, Speed McQueen. I don't know. The, the guy who plays LeFou is the same one who did the act, the voice for the the snowman in Frozen. And oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. And... Um, what what's funny about that is is that the friend that I went to see Beating the Beast with she came to me the next day, and she was like, "Now every time I close my eyes, I was." She says, "I was listening to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. I was listening to the Gaston song, and all I could see was Olaf running around <laughs> with Gaston because <laughs> she was just listening to the audio." <laughs> um, but there's the whole thing with Frozen where they wanted to do a sequel in which um. Uh, I've forgotten the character's name. They wanted her to have a girlfriend. And so they wanted to introduce lesbianism into the Frozen sequel. I don't know whether that actually happened Uh. or not, but it was in discussion and there was a lot of stuff going on about that. And because her character is such a strong woman, they felt like it made sense for her to be a lesbian. It's cropping up everywhere. It's It's a source of, I guess concern for Christians that our children are being exposed to it, but they've been exposed to it for a long time. ABC Family has had TV shows which are aimed at children that have had gay characters in them for years already. And mm-hmm. ABC Family is owned by Disney. And now yeah. Disney... Cart- well, it's not ABC Family anymore either. Yeah. It's uh, something else. Yeah, I think they've changed the name of the channel. But it was ABC Family when they had these shows. I know because I've right. seen some of them. There is... I guess right at about the same time when this thing came up about Beating the Beast having a character who is played gay, um, that's kind of the way they phrased it. Not that there was gay behavior, but that he was, as you said, played effeminately. They had at the same time some of their uh, programming on their cable station um, actually has the first animated homosexual kiss. And that was also aimed at children. Hmm. And so there's, there's, it's going on in, a lot of places in Disney, they're interweaving it into their storylines because to them it's normal. As as a secular organization and in their drive for diversity, they don't see a problem with it. And this comes where at a point where Christian families have to make a decision about being in the world and not of the world. At what point do you pull your children back from the programming? And I'm not calling for boycott. I'm calling for Christian parents to start I guess being consistent. I'm not calling for a total boycott of Disney, but I am advising parents to not let their young children, at least, go see this movie because I think it is it does more harm than good. It is for me. It is exactly the same as don't touch that stove. Mm-hmm. Well, that stove is hot. Don't touch that stove. That stove is hot. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's it's one of those situations where. We need to always be aware of what our kids are watching. Don't make any assumptions. Oh, this was made for children. It's okay. It's safe for my kids to watch. 
Right. We, you can't make those you can't assumptions, make those anymore. assumptions anymore about anything by any company, even Christian companies. Right. You have to be discerning. You have to watch it. You have to know what's in it. And you have to be prepared to answer questions if your kids do see it. Because if you withhold it from your kids, they may go over to a friend's house and see it at their friend's house. So you have to be ready to answer questions. Uh, that happens. Yes. <laughs> I, I can affirm that happens. Um, the things that you ban at your home, not necessarily banned in the homes of your children's friends. So you have to be consistent. And I think it's important, especially as children grow up. I mean, there is a certain age where you can't sit down and explain to a child why you don't want them to see a movie. But if they reach an age where they are mature enough to understand um, it's important to go ahead and have a discussion with them as the, this is the reason why we will not watch this movie at our house. Yep. And and where you explain it to them. And then if they get exposed to it somewhere else, they know the reason why they were forbidden to watch it before. Yeah, absolutely. And But they have to be of age to be able to make that distinction. Mm-hmm, right. Like I said, it has to be a level of maturity, which is interesting because I listened to Albert Moeller's, uh, he's the president of Southern University, uh, Southern Seminary, excuse me, in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, fairly high up in the Southern Baptist, um, I guess, hierarchy. Uh, He has a podcast that he does daily, uh, week daily, um, called The Briefing, and he he ties news into a biblical worldview, which I absolutely love. I, I listen to it daily, pretty much. He did an episode on uh, March 15th about, and he did touched on Beating the Beast. It was one of the things he talked about. There were some other things. And one of the things he said near the end, and I'm going to come back to it because he, he made some other comments that I want to talk about. But towards the end, he talked about the maturity level of children and that the reason why um, even these innocent films that are made for impressionable young minds are getting more realistic is because for some reason um, there's been this like age compression on our children and our culture that are the children are wanting more mature plots. They are they are exposed to more mature ideas at younger and younger ages. And mm-hmm. it's it's a problem if your children are being exposed to it through programming and you're not addressing that as a parent. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It's like uh, it definitely does. And the the children are being exposed at younger and younger ages to a lot more mature plots and and social concerns and they they see it in in their cartoons they watch, they see it in it's in the books they read, it's in their in their history classes and their English classes and their social studies classes in school. If you're sending them to public school, believe me, they've already been exposed even in kindergarten. <laughs> so you have to be aware of the maturity level of your children and be prepared to treat them at the maturity level they are at and have serious discussions when it's called for. Yeah. Uh, That's getting harder and harder to do. I I don't envy my kids, uh, (laughs) especially, you know, uh, my grandson is uh, almost two and a half now and my daughter and son-in-law are going to have a much, uh, a a much different experience. (laughs) Yeah raising their children than you had raising yours then then yeah, yeah than i had raising mine yeah and we're not just talking you know the that girls are more expensive than boys to to raise and stuff like that it, they're becoming more and more aware mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's like uh when i was in high school i remember this big deal about banning 
a particular book from the library. Heather has two mommies and it was a kid's book. I mean, a mm, children's picture that. book and they made such a big stink about it. And now that kind of stuff is probably just filling the children's library. And we're not even, we can't make a big stink about it anymore because it's so commonplace. That's already there. Our kids, are, unless we are keeping them locked in their rooms with no media, <laughs> no access to media of any sort, they're being exposed to it. So we have to. Well, it, yeah, it was different for us because we didn't have, we had three channels <laughs> uh, with, you know, nightly news. Uh, you could only watch one nightly news uh, thing a day. And when we weren't uh, plopped down in front of the TV watching, I don't know, Thundercats. <laughs> Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats! Oh, <laughs> it is so cool that you knew that. <laughs> we were out playing kick the can, or you know, riding our bikes, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So it it it, it was it was an insulated a, existence from a social standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I I was a kid in the uh, the early seventies, and I was completely unaware of uh vietnam war and mm-hmm. free love and hippie movement and frankly the, the first time i remember even thinking about adulting <laughs> was uh when ronald reagan was elected mm-hmm. i was 10 the year he was elected so they, i i really enjoyed that ign- that that ignorance really was bliss mm-hmm. But our kids are uh, – the kids of this generation are not that ignorant. They know everything yeah, that's going on. I don't think we can get back to that ever. No. I mean without some global catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you had put in here and we didn't – we haven't plugged the plug – we haven't plugged the plugged in review. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, that we do recommend all parents regardless of – uh, what the movie we're discussing, please check yeah. out the plugged in review because they do a lot better job of pulling out the social stuff, the bad language, the violence, the, I like, I like the way they alcohol. break it into categories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, what, how sex is dealt with and everything in every movie. And the, it's very reliable. So definitely go in and, and check plugged in uh, for any movie that we discuss and any movie you're planning to go see because they will have a review for it. They're very consistent. Yeah. Um, and they do, they don't just do new releases either. They, they also do DVDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, they, they have a huge, they must have a huge writing staff. <laughs> it's focused on the family, right? They mm-hmm. do. They're the ones who do plugged in. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, is that still a Dobson organization? No, Dobson left a few years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah. It's. I know they they were a lot bigger when I was uh, back in the early nineties. It's. Uh, but I think really the only interaction I've had with them has been plugged in for the last five years or so. Right. You had put. But the, they do a great job. They do a great job, and you had put in our notes here. You had put a um, pulled out a comment from their review, which I thought was really good. Um, it says, in a different, more innocent time, I wonder if these scenes would have been viewed by youngsters a little as a little more than silliness. Alas, however, we live in this activist age, a day yeah. when actors and directors and studios feel it necessary to insert such things in an attempt to normalize and elevate certain sexual choices. And unfortunately, they've chosen to do so this time in a movie aimed at children. I, I think yeah. that sums up that discussion quite well. I mean, yeah. th- this is what we've been talking about, is that it is the intended audience of this movie that was kind of the stop for us we did review a movie last summer that had a very prominent gay uh 
a shout out to gay gayness, I guess, in it. Which one? Uh, Star Trek Beyond. I just watched oh, that again yeah, recently. That's right. And yeah, Sulu. Sulu is gay. Uh, they they did that because the actor who played the original Sulu is come out of the closet and a very activist. Right. Um, I think I kind of missed it the first time I saw the movie, but I watched it again recently in the last few weeks, and and it really struck me because just the scene with his mm-hmm. with his partner with his partner and their daughter, and then yeah. I found out I realized later on where they're destroying the the station that you see them you see his partner with the daughter again um, mm. running and um, oh I didn't I I think I missed that yeah That's, I haven't rewatched it yeah either, that though. that was my rewatch and I caught some things I missed the first time around and yeah. It, it's popping up in a lot of movies now, and it's not something we can really not wave the flag at. You know, hey, it's there. But at the same time, if you're going to watch secular movies, you're kind of going to just have to get used to it and and yeah. know it's there. But the particular reason why we are being so spending so much time on it with Beating the Beast is because of the intended audience. I think that's yeah, absolutely that's what it comes down to. You know, I understand. <laughs> at least on some level where they're coming from. Uh, but, you know, God is God. Yeah. His word isn't law. His word is reality. It is reality. But we cannot expect the unsaved no, to understand that. And I think as Christians, we just have to continue to shine our light in a very dark world. And it's getting darker. And we know that from Scripture that it is going to get darker. And so we just have to keep shining the light of Christ on it and be as loving yeah. and as possible without compromising the authority of scripture in the way that yeah. we live our lives and the choices that we make for our families. A disagreement on homosexuality being uh, uh, wrong or right is certainly not grounds to not be uh, loving mm-hmm. to anyone. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, it, Loving. There is there is no more sin. There is disagreement is not hate. There is no more sin in their <laughs> hearts than there is in mine. Right. The only difference is is that uh, the Holy Spirit is has taken up residence and is helping me. Yeah, and I actually want to deal with that topic a little resist. later. Uh, before we move on, though, I do want to the the other social aspect that I caught in this movie was the. What we've been seeing in a trend in Disney movies mm. is the the change in the female character. Uh, it was yeah. definitely blatant in Frozen. Uh, there were a couple other Disney movies. Brave. Uh, Brave. Uh, Brave was the first one I really yeah, noticed it in. Yeah, and, and it definitely – they've slanted Beauty and the Beast that way more so than I think was in the animated one. Belle is not a princess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she even – It's a dirty word. Yeah, it's it's almost like – uh, we're trying to to train our little girls not to think like that anymore. Like women have to be assertive and independent, and not lean on anybody, and not need anybody. And eh, you know, as a woman, I can see some some draw to that, but it is not necessarily the the biblical. Uh, picture of a and and it's a secular movie we don't expect secular company we don't expect them to once again present biblical ideals uh i think it is a little sad um that we have completely lost the shine and the the love of being a princess because as daughters of the king which we are through christ we are princesses (laughs) 
but that is a different kind of princess. So I yeah, I kind of exactly. see where they're they're getting with that. Um, the other really interesting thing about this movie is in the original animated version in 1991, Belle's father was an inventor, but they mm-hmm. had decided to drop that aspect of him, which is actually not um, true to the original tale. He was a merchant in the original tale, which I think is kind of what he feels a little bit more like in this movie. Bell yeah, especially is, with him going off to to market, going off to to the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bell is the inventor, and it was actually a request of the actress that she get to do that. She wanted. She says, "Well, if Maurice isn't going to be an inventor, can Bell be the inventor?" And they show her coming up with an idea to uh, have the washing, a washing her clothes, so that she could read. Which I could see myself doing because it's like, if there's one, yeah. I could cut a task uh, down in time so I have more time to read. Uh, any bookworm will do that. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. She um she definitely has this more independent twist, which in the era of, that this movie is presented to be a part of would have been very odd for a girl. Mm-hmm. And they even bring that out because there's a scene where it shows her trying to teach another little girl to read. And they, the, the village pretty much gets up in arms about it. Yeah. They, they really made a big deal about it mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. They brought that up. I, to be honest, you won't have me have a problem with women being taught to read. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and women tend to multitask better. So, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> that may be true, but uh, you know what? That's probably true. Yeah, I think that's the way God <laughs> built us to be. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. I was doing something else. <laughs> I was doing something else. <laughs> um. She's Bella runs to the rescue of both her father and the beast, which is actually happens in the animated one too. So they didn't change the mm-hmm. character too much, but they definitely present her. I never really thought of Belle as being a princess ever. Uh, even yeah. in the 1991 version, they, they didn't, I mean, they've always presented her as one of the Disney princesses, but she's not really represented as a princess in the movie. I always considered the, the title of Disney princess to be, not referring to daughter of a king and queen so much as a position within the Disney hierarchy <laughs> of characters. The fe- what females are in the Disney characters, yeah. Sort of. You know, like, uh, there are no Disney princes, males. Um, Prince Charming. Only Disney prince. Well, yeah, but does he really show up at Disney outside of an appearance with Cinderella? He doesn't, does he? I mean, it, I mean they, his identity is tied to his princess. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and Aladdin for that is, matter, Cinderella isn't a princess either, right? Her parents are, neither of her parents are, are royal. Because she marries a prince. Oh, yeah. That's true. That makes her a prince. So does Belle, for that matter. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> so she, she is a princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, since its inception of the popularity of Disney princesses, I had always considered it a way to uh, encourage uh, young girls to uh, to think bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like STEM is trying to do now with uh, getting uh, girls interested in science, technology, engineering, and, mm-hmm. and uh, math. Math. Thank you. I couldn't, couldn't remember. I have a I have a mental block against math. I think <laughs> that's why I got into computers so I didn't have to. Right. 
Well, Albert Moeller in that briefing episode I mentioned earlier, and we'll have a link in the show notes, he also mentions the the change in Belle as not being a princess, that they they made such a big point of her saying that she wasn't a princess. Um, I just think that's an interesting shift in the thinking of Disney to try and, and steer girls away from that. Yeah. And, and there may not be anything wrong with it. It was just something I wanted to mention. Um, it's not like every girl can be a princess, but it made me wonder whether this is this trend is because we are as a culture trying to lean more into a socialistic view like an every everyone's the same mm. um and i i don't know that that's what they're trying to do it just made me wonder if if that's kind of where the trend is coming from that there there should be more equality and less uh putting somebody forward as being an aristocrat an aristocracy or yeah a higher class or something it's, like that. It's an interesting change from uh, what year was The Incredibles? Was that uh, that was in the nineties? Wasn't it? I think it? that was in the nineties too. Yeah. Yeah. Syndrome's uh, desire to uh, make everybody to t- special. Yeah, and and by <laughs> making everybody special, no one will be special. Right. So it's an interesting change to that. Um, I don't know that that's why they're doing kind of downplaying the princess thing but that just made me wonder because yeah. that seems to be a trend in our social culture you know we're kind of trending towards socialism and um equ- you know trying to make everybody the same and i don't know that, not that could, so easy yeah it's not because nobody's the same we're all different mm-hmm. we got to enjoy our celebrate our differences not uh, I, how we're all. I, I wouldn't want to hang out with another me <laughs> it'd be scary yeah uh uh, some of the quotes in this movie really stood out to me. Uh, we both found the one, can anyone be happy if they aren't free? Yeah. Um, that was a very important quote that came from Belle uh, near the end, actually, when the Beast is uh, asking her if she's happy. And and she's not because she's not free to leave. and She's not there of her own free will. I would kind of beg to differ with that, though. Because she actually is there. Of yeah, her she chose will. to make that sacrifice. Right, right. She chose to stay in place of her father, though she did tell her father that she would try and escape. So it was it was kind of almost like she was switching out and then cheating the beast. You know, it's like you, you require somebody um, to pay a penalty for this crime. I'm going to take his place, but I'm going to try and sneak away, you know, and she does try and escape. Um, so, yeah, it's it's almost like she's trying to cheat out on that. But... It made me think a little bit about what is freedom. And from a scriptural standpoint, it's very easy to find. <laughs> it's actually a very important verse that is uh, unfortunately taken out of context quite a bit. Um, this is in uh, John eight thirty one through 36. It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That verse is taken out of context quite a bit. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, which is a joke, by the way. They've been enslaved for the past, (laughs) you know, several hundred years. Um, How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this was a different sacrifice. This is where we were enslaved to sin, just like in in the same way that Bell's father was 
held captive because of an action that he made, right? Mm-hmm. And and Jesus took our place. He took the penalty for our sin, which set us free from our bondage to sin. And so, and because he is the son of the house, he's the heir, that means that we are free indeed because he has set us free. Now, the, the verse that's taken out of context is people sometimes take, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free out of the mm. context of that um, that whole passage. And they, they don't define truth because in this aspect, the truth is actually a name of Christ. So he's referring yeah. to himself. You know me yeah. and I will set you free. People uh, take this and they use the word truth to be whatever point they're trying to make. Right, exactly. Um, and But he is actually speaking of himself, and the truth in that context is Jesus. So you will know that Jesus and Jesus will set you free is basically what that verse is saying. Another, this is actually a concept that's dealt with throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote about it. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and, and in its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, Romans six twenty two through 23. That reiteration again, that we are enslaved, we are bondaged to sin. Sin is, is this bondage that has locked us in chains and we can't get away from it, but we are set mm-hmm. free by Christ. And I know that obviously this is a secular movie. Um, that's not what they were thinking about, but I think the picture of Belle taking the place of her father is is an important one. And yet she did not, even though she voluntarily made that sacrifice, she was not really taking his place. She was just trying to pull a fast one over on the beast. Yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking about American prisoners of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, article three of the, uh, the code of conduct for prisoners of war. If I'm captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every mm-hmm. effort to escape and aid others to escape. I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Right. And uh, it's, I guess I could see uh, a very similar mindset with what mm-hmm. Bell did as far as taking your place, uh, taking his uh, place, her yeah. father's place as, as a prisoner doesn't mean she's going to just accept her status as a prisoner. Right. But at the same time, you know the the way their relationship played out. I didn't. I don't feel that she was still the prisoner that she was when the cell door clamps. You know, right. slammed yeah. shut. Right. So, I nobody is ever truly free in this life. Mm-mm. But well, uh, and the, that, and the inter- that line seemed a little heavy to me. Yeah, and 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 the interesting thing about that is is that we trade um, our slavery uh, in in Christ. It's like we, we give up our our bondage to sin and we become willing slaves to yeah. Christ and to God. And that is an aspect of slavery that I think our culture doesn't understand. It's like willingly giving yourself, surrendering yourself, body and soul to the direction, to the mastery of another. We don't have that in our culture anymore. We live in a democracy. We declare our independence we're recording this on a Sunday, so we had uh, a Sunday school this morning in church, and one of the, the lessons we were talking about was we were in Matthew, and it, he was talking to the rich young lo- ruler, oh. and the uh, the point that Jesus made with the rich young ruler is that you have to give up all of you have. Go and sell everything Go you sell have. everything you have and follow me. 
And that was something that he went away sad about because he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of his possessions. And that is an, an instance where we just don't have a picture of that in our minds. We're so independent in our culture today, even in our secular culture, but also in our westernized churches, that we mm-hmm. we we don't come to Christ as slaves. We don't understand what that means. And it's really difficult to humble yourself to the point of accepting bondage to Christ. Yeah, it today's we don't, we don't society, like that language. <laughs> yeah, it, today's society really doesn't embrace the idea of a of a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody should be a servant in uh, by today's standards. Everybody should be the master. Right, but, and yet Jesus said, "No one can serve two masters." Right. And and if we're to serve Christ as our master, that means we have to give up our control, our mastery over ourselves. So, yeah. yeah. Just to bring a little Christian spin on a line from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> was not intended by the movie at all. Another another one that caught my attention, this this was actually an exchange between Gaston and LeFou. Uh, she hasn't made a fool of herself to gain my attention, says Gaston. What do you call that? And LeFou dignity. says, dignity. <laughs> uh, went right over Gaston's head. Um, like most stuff. <laughs> like most stuff, yeah. Beauty is only skin deep, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, I thought that was interesting that aside from the fact that Belle didn't actually want Gaston's attention, so she wasn't really <laughs> striving for dignity there. Uh, it does reiterate the old adage uh, about playing hard to get, uh, that the woman that that is constantly trying to get a man's attention is often ignored because she's not presenting herself in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I imagine that goes the other way as well, but that's just typically the way we think about it. Um, the woman trying to get the man's attention. Yeah. You know, you don't really see it go the other way outside of teen, uh, you know, teen comedies and such. Yeah. I wonder, uh, I wonder if uh, I'm sure it's intentional. I just wonder if it's uh a commentary on, on uh, what's expected socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem to be making a lot of that, so maybe that is <laughs> social commentary. One of the best lines, I thought, was when she came after her father, and he, he tells her just to forget about him, and she says, forget you, everything I am is because of you. And I thought that was, uh, obviously, for dramatic purposes, it's, a lot of this movie is over dramatized, yep. but it is an acknowledgement of the importance of parents. And I, I think Belle understood how important her father was to her and she was honoring him properly, uh, which is our, our uh, biblical duty, regardless of how old we are <laughs> to honor our, our father and mother. Um, that's actually part of, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has, your God is giving you, Exodus twenty twelve. It was important enough to put in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should probably do something about it. Speaking <laughs> of which, I should, I should probably give my parents a call. <laughs> they are very important to us, and uh, we need to make sure that we're taking care of them in their old age, that we're uh, communicating with them, that we continue to thank them for the sacrifices they made to raise us. Because mm. I I don't know about parents today, but I know my parents made a lot of sacrifices to raise <laughs> us children. So 
definitely God commanded us not just in the Old Testament it's, a, it's repeatedly in the New Testament as well um, Jesus said it's couple of the apostles said it in their epistles um, we are to honor our our parents and it's it's important and, and I appreciate that Belle had such a good relationship with her father and that's actually one of the plot holes that they filled in this movie was what happened to her mother because in the the original animated one she just wasn't there and yeah. you don't know why no she mention wasn't of her there. at all right and in this movie they mentioned that she had uh died in the plague and that he had been forced to take uh bell away to keep her from getting the plague too and this kind of adds a a very real and very sad backstory for bell but she wanted to know what happened to her mom and yeah. it was good for her cuz her father would never talk about it and i i can i can get where the father's coming from on it too yeah and it looks like he might actually end up with the sorceress at the end. They don't really say that one way or the other, hmm. but it seemed like uh, Agatha was was being very, very good to him. The final quote that I wanted to bring up, which I think is the whole premise and theme of the movie, quite honestly, it was a statement made during the, I guess what you would call the prologue of the movie that explained the curse. Um, the sorceress told the prince, don't be deceived by outward appearance. Beauty is found within. That was in the original, that was in the original animated version too, if I recall correctly. Well, it's the basis of the curse. And, uh, so like I said, it's, it's thematically the most important statement made in the movie because it's, it's throughout the movie. I mean, the fact that, that the beast lost was cursed because he made a judgment call regarding you know, this old hag that shows up in the middle of his party that's only for beautiful people. Mm-hmm. He made that judgment call and he made it wrongly and he was punished for it. And then you see it again in Gaston because Gaston is presented. I mean, obviously, there's this whole song about his virtues and they're all physical virtues, uh, his his uh, appearance and his behavior and all of that. But the more you see of him, in fact, LeFou even sees this you know sees the real Gaston towards the end of the movie uh he's really a monster on the inside the beast yeah. may be a beast on the outside but Gaston's a beast on the inside and that's the important reason why Gaston is contrasted with the beast so that you can well, see that yeah that is, that is the uh the truth of the movie isn't it that mm-hmm. uh, uh beauty beauty is found within but uh so is you know Ugliness, ugliness, and yeah. beastliness, and and uh, mean meanness. Right, mean spirit. Yes, and that's spoken against uh, on again. You know, in the scripture, to not to not have a mean spirit towards people, um, to show love and kindness and acceptance. Mm-hmm. But talking about the external, in First Peter three three through four, it says, "Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." And I mean, this was specifically speaking to women, but I think it it holds true for every believer um, that that we we make our interior be Christ and we shine that light from the inside of us. We don't worry about so much about the external appearances. And that is a good reminder to us to not judge people by their external appearances, to look for the heart of people and judge them based on that. Good point. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I don't really have anything to argue. You've covered it well. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to deal with that theme last because it is the theme of the movie. I mean, overlooking yep. all of all of the social commentary and the things that we have against the movie. In the end, there is actually a really good theme at the base of this movie. The, the foundation of this movie has a very good theme. And, and it's something that we all need to remember um, to... Yes, we have to hold prejudices. I mean, that's just human nature. But we have to be very careful in judging people by the right things. And in fact, there was another line about judgment in this movie. Uh, initially, the Beast judges Belle based on her father. He he, he considered yeah. her father a thief. And, and Mrs. Potts told him not to do that. He's like, you don't judge somebody based on who their father is. And that's another good reminder to us. Yeah, alluding back to... Uh... Uh, who the beast father was, mm-hmm. which uh, they didn't make a big deal about in the movie, but apparently he was uh, uh, not so nice, dude. Yeah, yeah. In in a way, it was almost like they were trying to justify the beast's behavior, the prince's behavior that made him become the beast. Yeah, by saying I, that, I got that impression too. Yeah, that by saying that his his father was abusive, and so that was the way he was raised, and. That kind of takes away some of his culpability for his behavior. And at that same time, they were also taking a responsibility. The The castle staff was also taking a level of responsibility for not uh, intervening, mm-hmm. which uh, it, it, I really felt like they were trying to excuse the, the, the beast's lack of civility. Right. And we are responsible for our own actions. Uh, we we can be the product of our upbringing. That's true, by, by a product of our environment. But in Christ, we have no excuses. And when, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ however we are, in whatever sinful state we are. And he will forgive us if we are truly repentant. But after that, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can fall back on old habits very easily, but we have to beware that we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives and yeah. change, be transformed by the power of God and not continue on in the old way. One last scripture, uh, more in, in, in line with what we were talking about with the, the beauty of not being on outward appearance. One of the prophecies about Christ in the book of Isaiah says that he would have no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was de- despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That was part of the prophecy of Christ. By the way, that was Isaiah 53, uh, 2 and 3. We spend a lot of time presenting Christ as this beautiful man, and I don't think that he actually was, because yeah. I think it was really important from from a historical and from a prophetic standpoint that he not be a man that, that people looked up to or looked towards for any outward reason. They were drawn to him because of his, because he was wise and he was a great teacher and he was a Messiah and he spoke truth. I don't think that his outward appearance was becoming. And we have to remember that Satan sometimes appears as a beautiful angel and be very discerning about how we look on the outward appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's other other people have comments about this movie. Do comment on the show notes, which can be found once again at 
areyoujustwatching.com slash 68. You can call us at 903-231-2221 to leave a voicemail, or you can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com, and you can send audio files. Uh, join our Facebook discussion group. It's are you? It's just look for Are You Just Watching and, and groups on Facebook, and you can find us. It is a closed group, so you have to ask for it minutes. Don't let that turn you off. We want you to join. We just don't. We want to keep the discussions within the group private. So uh, all you have to do is ask to join. We'll be accepted, but we just don't want the stuff that's discussed going publicly out into news feeds. So it is a private group. Subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes. We do like reviews that kind of gets punches us up in the list so people will see us. Do share us on Facebook. When you follow our group on Facebook and see us post our new episodes in Facebook, we would really appreciate it if you would share them. That helps get us out to new listeners. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Franklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Renchepple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And I think that's it. That pretty much covers it. We do appreciate your support. And if you can head on head on over to Patreon and consider giving us a small monthly donation, we would really appreciate the support. We roll that all back into the podcast. It will either pay for us to see movies or buy DVDs or buy equipment to help our podcast continue to sound good. Or yep. if we get enough, uh, we also pay for our hosting fees in our website and various uh, memberships in our uh, network. Uh, and we would love to have enough overage to start doing prizes and contests and stuff. That, that would be, would be neat. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that is what we use your money for. We don't make a dime on this podcast. Nope. <laughs> so thank you again so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we hope to, you'll join us again for another episode. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.mx.